Hello, this is Jim. I am coming to you again from the pandemic, and this is a COVID podcast, which is to say this entire podcast was started because of shelter in place. I am just a guy who found a therapeutic while living alone in the midst of all this madness to turn on a recorder and talk for several hours at a time, and that is how this was born. So that's all this is. This is one individual rambling about this or that. Sometimes it's interesting. Most of the time, it's probably not. I really can't say. I'm probably my own worst judge of the thing, but that is what this is. And welcome to my thing. Welcome to where it is that I ramble. How you doing? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy belated Thanksgiving. It is Sunday, the weekend after Thanksgiving. I had a good holiday. It was relaxing. We actually watched a, my, my family and I watched a movie called Free Birds, which is about, it's a, it's one of those animated movies, like a, I always call them Pixar films, but of course they're not all Pixar these days. It looks like Toy Story, whatever the hell you call it. That's what passes for animated these days, I think. Whenever I say animated, I always think cartoons drawn by hand. On pieces of paper that if you, you know, make them a flip book, they move and colored and projected onto a screen. But animated now means rendered uh, in a rendering farm somewhere, you know, for creation in a 3D universe, a bunch of meshes, basically. Uh, it's one of those. Uh, it's about two turkeys who go back in time to the first Thanksgiving to try and prevent turkeys from ever becoming the staple food of of Thanksgiving, They're basically trying to save members of their species. It was actually pretty cute. Uh, it was better than I expected it to be. Heartily recommended if you're looking for a Thanksgiving movie, a Thanksgiving themed movie. That would definitely be uh, it's really the only one I know of. It works. We're actually talking about The Wizard of Oz. My mother and I, we were saying The Wizard of Oz used to be on at some time of the year. Like you would always say, oh, the Wizard of Oz is on TV again. Of course it is because it's this holiday or that time of year. I thought it was Thanksgiving. I don't remember, but I remember it was always on like as a tradition of some point during the year. Okay, well, the Wizard of Oz is on again. I thought that was Thanksgiving, but neither of us could remember, and I haven't looked it up. Kind of like they always have a Christmas story. They used to have a Christmas story play 24 hours, like what is it, 8 a.m. or 8, 8 p.m. to 8 p.m.? You know, starting Christmas Eve, they just put that on repeat on, uh, what was it, TBS? I don't know if they still do that. I don't know what the point would be of still doing it. I think, I, I guess some people are still watching network television. So I hope they're still doing it. Uh, in any case, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, the, it's the weekend after Thanksgiving. That was like three days ago. So now it's, of course, Christmas. It's a, of course, it's it's Christmas for the entire month, between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day itself. This is this is the reality, people. I don't understand why uh, why there's so much uh, hostility on this point. It really works just fine. I do actually miss. I, I went. I've been driving around a little downtown areas. I drove past uh, downtown Birmingham, kind of went through Ferndale. Royal Oak, a lot of little towns in northern suburban Detroit that I used to run around in. Really, all I want to do is 
get out of my car and go walking down the street with snow flurries and the cold, crisp air and go into stores and look at crap and say, you know, I don't want to buy this, but maybe someday, maybe someday I'll have a house and I'll have a mantle I can put this piece of crap on. Just that sort of mindless, stupid, pointless activity. Just doing that is something I wish I could be doing right now. I, I took it for granted in years past that I was able to do that without fear of catching a lethal virus, which is now has reached peak levels of infection in the United States. This is not a good time to engage in Black Friday. Yeah, so that's that's what's going on with me. What else is going on? There's been a lot of stuff happening. I've been working a lot. Last weekend, I didn't do a podcast because I worked the entire weekend. Like, I just... I worked on stuff that I felt I, I wanted to, like, give a try. You know, stuff that my boss probably wouldn't ask me to do, but I felt needed to be done. It's kind of the way it is in my industry. A friend of mine who was also in software tweeted uh, something this past weekend. It says, you know, a four-day weekend like Thanksgiving, it's it's not a time to relax. It's a time to catch up on all of the, the work that you want to get done, but that will never be approved at your at your job. I love working in an industry where there's, in a field, I suppose, not an industry, but a field where people are so passionate about their work, they they want to do stuff like that. Like They want to take a weekend and just work on stuff they think needs to get done to help the company move forward, but that the company doesn't feel is worth investing the resources in. We just do it ourselves. I love that. Uh, I love... Yeah, just the drive to do things and the drive to learn. But so, yeah, I didn't podcast last weekend and I think it kind of wore me out. Like by the time Wednesday rolled around, I was like, I need a break. I was so glad it was a holiday. So I, I made a purposeful effort to not do any work this weekend. I stayed away from the computer, away from my work computer, and just watched uh, some television. I actually watched the entire series of Party Down, uh, which is an old TV show that was on about, I want to say, 10, 11 years ago. It ran for two seasons before it was canceled. It's because it starred Adam Scott. I think he left to go to Parks and Recreation. Uh, it also had, I was going to say Bill Hader, but not Bill Hader. He played a character named Bill on Freaks and Geeks. The actor's name was Martin Starr. Um, I forget the girl's name is, the actress. Um, anyway, it has a very decent cast. It had some very, very good cameos. Uh, Kristen Bell uh, was in a few episodes. Very, very cleverly written, very, very smart, uh, very funny. Really, it was a tragedy that it, that it ended up getting canceled. I hear there, there's been talks of doing a reunion, but... I remember I watched it shortly after season two, it ended, and the news of cancellation just came through. I was like, oh, that's a bummer. That really is. But I, I forgot about it. One of my coworkers mentioned, yeah, like, oh, yeah, Party Down. They made a reference to it in passing. And I was like, that is a blast from the past that I have not heard in a very long time. So I found the seasons pretty cheap online, went ahead and watched them all. That stuff is really, really funny. Like, I remember the overall major plot points but that was that's a that's a great show 
I really do hope they bring that back. It was hilarious. So that was just me. I just watched 10 hours of that. That helped me unwind. Did a lot of reading. And I'm reading several things right now. I always do that. I always read way too many things at once. I never quite get through all of them, but I get through a lot of things and through most of them. It's the ones that are interesting. I never, I can never be sure what's going to hold my attention. Like I, I must look crazy to my parents because like I, there's this little, they have this little fireplace and there's two sides to it. It's like in the middle, it's like in a wall, it's like a divider that divides the dining room, living room from the kitchen. And they sit on one side of it and there's this other lone chair on the other side of it that I just, I, I can just sit at and there's a table and that table usually has like, half a dozen to a dozen books on it that I am reading. And I know they got to be thinking, maybe maybe, maybe they don't care. Maybe they're not thinking this, but my mother is probably thinking, which one of these are you reading? Like, why are you jumping around? Like, if I sit down to read, I'm never sure what's going to hold my attention. I'm never sure what subject, what style of writing is going to actually be interesting to me. So I have to, like, try things. I have to have a lot of things at my fingertips, pick up, like, Maybe by the third or fourth book, I'm like, okay, I'm getting into this. I can do this without a struggle. You know, this isn't, this is not putting me to sleep. And it varies. One thing can be fascinating to me. One day, the very next day, I pick up that same book and I just cannot get into it. So I keep a lot of things around for that reason. I always got to, I got to have variety. On the fiction side of thing, I'm, I'm reading Stephen King's Rose Matter, which is an old one from the mid-90s that I read a long time ago. I read it when it first came out. It was around then that I got into Stephen King when that book first came out. So I, I think it was, I probably got the first first printing, first edition copy of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's more down-to-earth one. And I mean, it's about an abused woman who runs away from her husband, like escapes. But he's uh, this crazy police officer detective who actually knows how to track people down. And so she, you know, it's inevitable. Like she's living this new life, trying to like get away from his abusive. He was just an all around abusive person. So she's trying to divorce herself from him mentally. And he's in the process of tracking her down. And of course, there's a confrontation. But it's, it's one of the few Stephen King stories that doesn't use the Christian mythology. Like it actually uses a different. Uh, mythology. I think it's, I think it's like Greek, but anyway, a lot of the uh, the motifs from non-Christian mythological stories are in there. Um, it's uh, not bad. I mean, Stephen King, I think, is always good. It's, I wouldn't say it's one of his stronger works. I would say it is very strong in the fact that the main character is female, and the way that it paints the female character is probably better than a lot of his other works. The criticism I remember hearing about him often is that a lot of his earlier works, the female characters were fairly two-dimensional. I think this might be might be his effort to rectify that. It does a pretty good job. It's decent. Almost done with that one. Yeah, that's what's going on. Anyway, I'm sitting outside of a grocery store in my car, a couple miles from where I'm staying. Just, uh, yeah, this is what I do now. I go park somewhere and talk into this thing. I really cannot wait for life to resume. 
So since what what happened? I guess the last time I recorded and did this, the election had been called. And I think I've talked about that a bit. Yeah, I talked about that last time. You know, it's it's Biden. It's looking more and more like it's it's for sure that it's going to be Biden. And then the legal challenges that Trump decided to bring are, are just being overturned one by one. They're not being effective at all. Uh, throughout the Trump presidency, I've kind of, again, I've, I've said this before, but I'm pretty ambivalent about Donald Trump. I don't care much for the way he behaves himself. Um, you know, politically, I'm a centrist, so it's either I agree with his conservative position, but I think he conducts himself like an idiot, which gives conservatives a bad name. Or I'm a more liberal-minded person, and I disagree with what it is he's doing ideologically. There's very little he's done that I would say, yeah, that was well executed, and I agree with it. So for that reason, I don't like him. It's not really a partisan thing. I just don't think he's a very effective politician. But the thing is, there's been a lot of criticisms about him, about how he's evil. He's, you know, Hitler incarnate. Um, He's the coming of fascism, and he's trying to destroy this country democracy. And I think that those harms are, those risks are real and they shouldn't be minimized because he definitely lacked respect for the office and for the institutions very, very clearly. Um, And he, he seemed to be against them in a way that was always in his favor. But most of what he did during his administration, like his time as presidency, what he's done so far, I've just sort of said, you know what, he, this has happened before. This is not unprecedented. There's There's been assholes in the White House before. He's a demagogue. He's a populist. The Constitution was written with this contingency in mind. We're going to be able to deal with it, you know. And I think it's that, that idea that there's always precedent that uh, has kept me sane, you know. I think the idea that this is uncharted territory and this is what we're seeing is completely new is overstated and not in, at best it's not accurate now a president who loses his bid for re-election and then proceeds to wage a battle against the results of that election both in courts you know legally using whatever resources he has at his disposal to wage a legal war on the outcome and to wage a war in the court of public opinion, to say that the election was fraudulent and that it was stolen by the other side, to try and undermine faith in the election, the electoral process. I don't think that has ever happened before. I don't think that's ever been done. I don't think that's there's ever been a president who has done that. I think that is probably two things to me. It is the first thing Trump has done that I would say is altogether unprecedented, and it is it is the first real direct and I would say unforgivable attack on what this country stands for. The fact that we vote people out of office every four to eight years is unusual. That is incredibly unusual. It's very, very weird that in, in 1801, you know, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were were political enemies at the time. They were on opposite sides. 
of the spectrum, and they disagreed with each other about a lot. They were not getting along at that point. And, you know, John Adams, a Federalist, had to cede power to the enemy, the Jeffersonian Republicans, to Jefferson himself, no less. I don't think that has happened very many times in the history of politics, where the, the, the ruler, the person in charge, has willingly abdicated power to somebody that he disagrees with. It's not his son. <clears throat> it's not a hereditary monarchy. That is weird. That is unusual. The fact that we do that is so batshit crazy to me. I'd say it's a, it's a it's a good thing. It's an altogether good system. And I think that I think it's it's something that a lot of people believe in. I think it's very very important. I mean, the way this thing played out, I really didn't, never thought that Trump had a shot. And I suppose I should start this off by saying that if there is election fraud, if there was any voter fraud happening, if there were votes that were thrown out or introduced in any illegal way, I want to know about it. I am not somebody who is saying, well, Donald Trump claims there is voter fraud, so I'm going to say that there was no voter fraud because that's the opposite of what Donald Trump says and the opposite of what Donald Trump says must be the truth. If there's any... If there's any fraudulent voting, if there's any errors in the voting process, I want I would like that to come to light. As a matter of fact, all the more because there are conspiracies that have been promulgated and accepted by large numbers of people in this country that, you know, the election was stolen by Biden. I want every stone to be unturned so that going forward, it is resolutely clear based on the evidence that that did not happen. And if on the off chance in the unlikely event that that did happen, all the more I want to know about it. And Biden shouldn't be president. But I don't want people who claim that this, I don't want there to be any leg for the people who claim that conspiracy, who say that Biden stole the election and Trump won it fairly. Uh, that basically Biden is president because of voter fraud. I don't want conspiracy theorists making that claim to have a leg to stand on. I want them to have no evidence backing their claims whatsoever. And I want it to be easy for them to get access to that information. I want anybody to be able to answer that question for themselves. No stone unturned. None. Doesn't mean everybody's going to accept the truth. Not everybody will accept the evidence. And that's a separate problem altogether. But the evidence should be out there. I don't want there to be any wiggle room for debate. But it's been interesting watching this play out because the court of public opinion is one thing. The fact that there are media outlets and large people, large numbers of people consuming them and believing them that there was electoral fraud and sort of promulgating this idea, that's a problem. But What's more interesting to me is that there are, of course, large numbers of people who don't believe this. And to the extent that Trump is actually fighting it in an effective way, which I, by that I mean legally, the fact that he's taking it to court, trying to block uh, the, the ratification process of Biden's victory and trying to 
make legal claims in court uh, that there was massive amounts of voter fraud that worked against him. Everything I've read, these these cases have been thrown out by people who say, you don't have a leg to stand on. You have no evidence. If there were evidence, we would take this seriously. But you prevent, you've presented nothing to us that we can actually use. You've presented nothing actionable, no evidence whatsoever. And people say in these, you know, we're not going to change the results of the election. We're not going to halt the certification process, like the outcome will be the outcome. They always say this is important. It is important that democracy continues to function this way. It is important that people's votes count. They cannot simply be thrown away based on some wild hearsay and some crazy allegations because somebody doesn't want to lose. It is very much faith in our institutions and the democratic process that we have that has kept this from being much worse than it is. And I think the potential for harm is massive here. The very claim that this last election was fraudulent, that it, simply the outcome cannot be trusted, that's a very dangerous assertion to make. If there was any truth to it, if I felt there was any truth to it, if I had seen anything or heard anything or read anything that suggested it would be true, there was a piece, any shred of evidence that suggested Biden had somehow conspired to win the election and stolen it unfairly. I don't, I haven't seen any evidence for that. And so the claim, the claim that Trump deserves to not, they'll stay in office another four years. I think that that's the, the idea that the attempts on his part to undermine the electoral process is really very scary to me. And I'm glad that he didn't succeed. Because I think you can, you can imagine a reality in which maybe that, maybe that has a shot. You know, the thing is, democracies have existed and they've died, usually because somebody seizes power. And there's always an exit ramp. There's always somebody does something and people look at it and say, well, that's just so blatantly, obviously incorrect and immoral that there's no way they're going to get away with it. Usually they do. If people are not paying attention and are not standing up for what they believe in, if there is not the core value system of we believe in this that is making people act with integrity, you don't preserve things very well. The thing falls apart. And so what I've seen has been mostly inspiring because the vast majority of people who have a say in the matter, where it counts, believe in our processes and have stood up for them publicly. They have stood up against the president of the United States saying, I don't believe in his story. I don't believe in him. I believe in our institutions over our leadership. It's been tremendous how much I've seen that. And it makes me incredibly positive about what that means for us going forward. I think there's a very strong base of Integrity. I have no other way of saying it. Just the, the fact that we believe in this, we're willing to do what we think is right by the country and not by who happens to be in power. That is tremendous. 
Now, I think it also is worrisome because it's not that nobody believes these stories. It's not that nobody believes that the election was stolen. There are plenty of people out there who believe it. And there are, how many electoral votes did Trump get ultimately? It was like 200 and 220, something around that area. It wasn't quite... I don't want to say the number, but he didn't quite get enough. He got he got quite a few. There was a lot of people in this country that voted for him. Which means they were going along with what Trump stood for. Uh, or at the very least, they weren't aware of exactly what he stood for, what his values were. Which were wildly inconsistent. But it's hard to say exactly what they were. Again, I think it was mostly, I'm not a liberal, so I'm not voting for the liberal guy. I'm voting for the other one. I think there was a lot of that going on. There was certainly a lot of that going on on the left. I'll be damn sure. I don't think, I think Biden won the election because he was running against a Donald Trump that had been president for four years. And in his last year had been struck in with the coronavirus and with the coronavirus pandemic and did not handle it well. I don't think that was, uh, I don't think exactly clothed themselves in glory. But the thing is, the precedent has been set, all right? The thing is, is that Donald Trump is not that charismatic. He's kind of a bumbling idiot. Uh, he definitely has a following, and I think he's able to leverage that to good effect, but he wasn't able to leverage it well enough to steal this particular election, to say, overturn Biden's victory and say, no, actually, it was me. He couldn't do that. He couldn't pull it off. And I think that's because of who he is, because of how divisive he has been, and how much a lot of people do not like him. But the thing is, there are other people out there who are more charismatic, more effective, have more resources, and might be able to pull that off. The thing is, what what we've seen in the last month or so since the election, like what has happened has indicated that it is possible. It is absolutely possible for a president to attempt to overturn election results, making a case directly to the people. If you manage to get enough of the people on your side, then it doesn't matter what the courts say. In this case, there was not enough of a of public support for Trump's position for him to have actually pulled it off. But I think having seen this, I now think it, it's it's possible. It's possible that it could be done in the future, and I would not be surprised if in my lifetime it's tried again by somebody else. I think there's a blueprint now for success in how to Basically, try and ignore election results. There'll be somebody after four or eight years gets voted out and says, you know what, I'm not going to acknowledge this. I'm not going to let this result be certified legally. I wonder how desperate things would have to to get. I really don't think the comparisons with the United States right now, with the Weimar Republic in Germany, in the 1920s and 1930s is accurate. I, I don't think there's 
don't think it's a good comparison to draw. But at some point, at some point, I'm not saying Trump is Hitler, but at some point in the past, things were desperate enough that the Germans did turn all of their political power over to a certain individual. At the very least, he ended up in a position where he was able to steal it. He was able to pull off the Knight of the Long Knives and, and seize power and become Supreme Chancellor of Germany. There's a part of me that would have wondered early on this year, if you posed the question to me, coronavirus, with this going on, and the economic windfall that has happened because everybody having to work from home, everybody having to shelter in place, and most people just not being able to work at service jobs, I would have thought, you know, maybe things would be desperate enough that you could pull that off. Maybe you could make a case to the American people, you know what, a change in presidential leadership right now would be bad for the country. They call it the FDR argument, you know. Basically, it's I should keep doing what I'm doing because I'm being effective at it. Change in leadership will just slow things down, make things worse. That seems like a story based on events earlier this year. The way things were going, I, people would have bought that, I would have guessed. I'm not saying nobody did. It seems like a lot of people have, but I would have guessed that maybe, maybe it would have been enough people who was a, you know, that would make a majority. Enough people that would say, yeah, you know what? We shouldn't even have an election. I remember that being, I think I remember that being posed. Maybe we should just hold off the election. I think I remember a tweet from Donald Trump saying that, proposing that very idea. Because of everything that's going on, should we just push back the election until people can vote in person? Absolutely outrageous. I really, I can't believe I was reading that. Because you know where that comes from. That wasn't coming from what's best for the American people. That's coming from what is best for President Trump himself. So, again, this is, I don't want this to be an anti-Trump rant. Probably what it sounds like. Um, I guess it kind of is. But I don't really think that's constructive. Not really. I mean, it always bothered me. Like, again, I lived in the Bay Area for the last four years during Trump's presidency. And I would turn on NPR there and it would just be easy. Often it was just, you know, a bunch of talking heads sitting around talking about how dumb he was, how dumb his administration was, how dumb his followers were. All of this stuff, this is not a productive conversation to be having. At least it's not, I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm not learning anything. Tell me what happened. I can make that judgment for myself. I can make the qualitative judgment about how good or bad this is for the country without you making that the focus of the conversation. And so I, I want to make it absolutely clear that I, I don't think, I don't think that's effective. And I, I do wonder about that. The thing is, there's a kind of toxicity in American culture that led to the election of Donald Trump in the first place. It was here long before Donald Trump came along. The fact that Trump won is an indication of something that was wrong way before he even announced his candidacy in 2015. And I don't quite know how to put my finger on that. I don't quite know how to define it. But that is what worries me, because that will last beyond Trump's presidency. That 
that divisiveness, that vitriol, that is still there. That is still out there. There are going to be large numbers of people who doubt the legitimacy of Biden's presidency. This is going to be divisive. And honestly, I've learned this from talking to both people on the right and the left. When they have emotional feelings about it, you really cannot present alternative ideas or viewpoints on things and have them be received well. Not in all cases, especially not when you're when you're angry. The thing is, you meet somebody who's a Trump supporter. If you just start immediately lambasting Trump as an idiot, basically insulting the other person's intelligence. Like, I think this person you support is an idiot. So by proxy, I'm insinuating you are an idiot for supporting him. As soon as you do that, person's checked out. They're not listening to you anymore. They're on the defensive. They're, they're trying to come up with reasons in their head uh, to defend their own position, to defend why it is they support Trump. I think psychologically this is called the backfire effect. If you present facts that refute something somebody believes, they just sort of reject the facts and reinforce in their own mind what it is they already believe. And so what I'm curious about is how do we get back to the dialogue? You know, how exactly do we return to a place where we're all on the same team? I, I don't think that's one individual's job. I don't think that's the government's job, but I think it is kind of all of our jobs to do it. We have to not play into the tactics that Donald Trump wanted us all to. He wanted us to either love him or hate him. You know, if you're not with me, you're against me, that sort of thing. Um, he's a living embodiment of that sentiment. He's a little bit, he's, his actions and what he says are basically perfect for manifesting that exact polarity. And that is, I think, at least a component. I think that's that's stoking the toxicity. It's giving it it's giving it food to feed on. You know, it's like a bacteria finally gets what is that stuff called? Algar? Basically bacteria food. Give it enough food, it'll just reproduce and you know like that's that is what he's he's figured out how to lean into that. And I don't actually think Trump is dumb. I want to be absolutely clear about that, 100%. I don't think he's stupid. I think the people calling him stupid are underestimating him. I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. There's a kind of brilliance to what it is he's done. Anyway, so yeah, headlines here. The election happened the way that it did. And I'm very glad that what happened happened. I'm glad that the outcome seems to have fallen down on basically who we voted for, the people, all of us. The majority spoke, the majority was heard, even though it was fought uh, legally, it uh, prevailed. I think that is critically important. Uh, I think that somebody tried to attack American democracy and they failed miserably because people people believed in it believed that it was something worth standing up for so overwhelmingly positive but still the footnote from that headline is it's maybe just a matter of time 
because it could be done. It's hard to imagine a time that would be more desperate than the one we are in now, where things would be so bad that we would even entertain you know, subverting our own democratic processes for supposedly the greater good, but I don't think it's impossible. And so the conditions that might lead to that, that might give birth to, you know, an egress from our democratic processes, I wonder, I wonder how realistic they are, as in how how readily manifestable they are by, by future leaders. Yeah, so that's that. Actually, my home state was definitely a part of that. There were, um, Michigan was one of the states that unexpectedly swung blue. And so a couple of uh, representatives I think they were senators, um, people who were involved in the electoral process in for the state of Michigan. They were called to the White House to uh, hear a briefing from the president or at least his administration about why they should reconsider the decision about why Biden's victory should not be ratified. And they came away from that. They announced the same day in a press release it was a couple of Fridays ago. Uh, we've heard nothing that would encourage us to overturn Biden's victory. No evidence was presented to us. Nothing compelling enough. To, we're we're going to keep counting the votes. Keep making sure, like, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's. Make sure everything is sound. And then we are going to most likely uh, certify Biden. But we've heard nothing that would suggest that anything fraudulent has taken place. So, but yeah, good for, good for us, good for Michigan. I left this place, I moved away from this place a very long time ago. I thought there was nothing good about it. That's, that's actually not true. I actually love Michigan quite a bit. I've, I've come to the conclusion like being here for a few months, I don't think I want to move back. I don't think I could be happy living here. Um, you know, I've played the little game in my head, even if I met like the perfect woman, you know, or suddenly I, I got a group of friends, just absolutely swell people. I'm in a band or something and it ends up being successful, but to keep being successful, I got to stay in the Detroit area somewhere, you know, somehow, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine anything that would encourage me to stay, that would make me happy with that as an outcome. And it's not that there's anything wrong with this. I, I think, I really do like Michigan. I love Michigan. Uh, on paper, I look at it and I say, I really wish that I could live here. I wish I was happy just moving over to the west side of the state, let's say, like Grand Rapids, getting a little house on the water, like on, on the lake. Just having that be, you know, my life. You get some seasons, you get you get winter, you get fall. It's beautiful here. 
could probably get a boat, a house on the water. Whatever the hell you do when you have that lifestyle. Now, I imagine I can get into that. Uh, it's it's really quite nice here. But I, I, I know that it's not me. It's just not who I am. That's, that's why I left 12 years ago. And really, I, I should... There's been parts of me that have questioned that. I've said, really, was that decision-wise? Did you leave for the right reasons? You know, maybe you left too hastily without really understanding what you were doing. Maybe you were running away from something, but you weren't, it wasn't the right decision. It was just capricious and arbitrary. And really, you would be happier if you moved back. I've become convinced that I really should have more faith in my past judgments. I really should look at this whole thing and say, you know, you, you did You'd fine. You know, you were right to leave. You were right to go somewhere else and experience something else. But uh, not to say that anywhere I went, where I've, where I've been in, went to Santa Barbara. And, you know, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm not sure that either of those were me either, but they were way closer to what I would be, what I would want than, you know, any part of Michigan is. So yeah, there's that. I've I've kind of So I've kind of wondered what is next. I don't know where I go next. I don't have to know, I guess, for a while. I don't think it, I think it's gonna be quite a while before they're able to distribute. Like first of all, they, they do have some vaccines which seem to be extremely effective. There's there's multiple ones out now that have been announced. Um that's the latest news from the past few weeks. And it looks like those have to be mass produced and then mass distributed, you know, and it probably won't be people like me getting them first. It will probably be, you know, healthcare workers and the elderly, people who are really at risk for dying of this thing will probably get the vaccination first. And there's really no telling how long it will be before there's, I don't know, like herd immunity because of the vaccination. Like enough people are vaccinated that we can pretty much resume our lives as normal uh, without without fear. I think, you know, optimistic estimates say we're still seven or eight months away from that. You know, and that's that's if everything goes perfectly, which of course it is not likely to. So next next June... July, probably. So before that, I really don't have to know what the hell I'm doing. I can I can just stay, just stay in Michigan, hold up for the winter. And yeah, figure out where I want to go after this. I've thought about going to... New Orleans. There is part of me that's thinking maybe I won't wait until this epidemic is completely done for. Like maybe I will maybe anticipate it by a few months. Sort of say, okay, well, it looks like people are getting the vaccine in most states. You know, looks like it's going to be effective. It looks like it's going to work. 
you know, maybe a little bit before that happens, I'll just say, okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, leave Michigan, maybe go to New York City, try and see some of that. Um, maybe not New York City. I'd love, I'd love to go see New York City right now, but I, maybe that's too, it's too much of a hot zone. A little bit too much population density. Uh, but I thought about going to New Orleans and just getting like a little place, staying there for a few months. And, you know, not really experiencing Mardi Gras or anything crowded. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But I just get a place in one of the more popular, well-known neighborhoods and just sort of get into the, get into the history of it, sort of experience uh, that city. I'm curious about New Orleans because I think along with San Francisco, it's one of the, it's one of the cities in this country that has some very interesting history associated with it. If you read the history of San Francisco, it's extremely colorful and extremely interesting, particularly if you're living in San Francisco and you can like tie what you're reading to things that are around you. You can immediately see how the city took shape, how it's evolved. And I, I find that stuff fascinating, at least in San Francisco. I mean, I've, I've tried looking into the history of Detroit. Like, I think it was settled by the French back 200 years ago. It's uh, For some reason, it's not quite as interesting. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because just most of that's missing or because it's all like wrapped up in more or less tedious suburban neighborhoods. There's basically a bunch of commercial residential housing and then a largely decaying urban area at its nucleus. This, this isn't, the spirit of it is not alive. Like the spirit of historical Detroit, it's more of a ghost that haunts this place than it is like a living entity. I think that's why I really didn't get into the history of an area when I was uh, when I was growing up here. My my dad loves Detroit. I, I don't think he ever entertained the thought of leaving. I think he was incensed when I told him I was planning on leaving. You know, like as soon as I graduated from college, I was like, you know, I'm here right now to make things work you know, career-wise, because that only makes the most sense. But once I have a stable foundation and a better sense of direction, I am out of here. He didn't really care for that. But I also think that when he was growing up, he saw this place when it was still alive. Like, he, when he was young, he went to Hudson's downtown, a multi-story department store, and there was one, there was one level that was just, you know, dedicated to kids, he could go up there and play with toys. You know, his parents would just leave him up there. They would go do their shopping. And like that whole experience, that whole, the city is just a community full of people. Whatever Detroit was, he saw that. He lived it. He felt it. I never felt that. I, I only felt the corpse. That's the only thing I experienced. I never, I never sent the, ever had any vivacity. I just, 
as soon as I became interested in its history, I read I read a book called the The Origins of the Urban Crisis, which talks about exactly how Detroit got to where it is today. It starts with the end of World War II, and the book itself actually culminates with what you people usually uh, point to as being the beginning of the decay of Detroit, which is the 1967 riots. It ends there, so it starts with it starts with World War II. And it ends there. Like That was kind of like, okay, this is the final catalyst that really, it's the final nail in the coffin. So learning about Detroit's history, when I finally kind of became interested in it, it was not a positive story that I read. It was not, it was just, you know, a sociologist's account of a city that ultimately destroyed itself due to, well, racism and racial tensions, ultimately. Economic struggle between the, and the classes, actually. And the classes tended to be along racial lines, although not entirely. So, anyway, yes, where was I? New Orleans, yeah, so, New Orleans strikes me as being like San Francisco in that its history is probably still alive. You could probably go there now and you would, you would feel the past in your face. Like it's not something that is, you know, molded and died and become crusty and uninteresting. It probably would be, I'm thinking about it. I'd like to do it. Anyway, I am home now. I'm going to cut this off. Um, yeah, this has been fun talking about politics and all that. Um, yeah, anyway, happy pandemic. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, hope you're swinging. Hope you're getting into the Christmas spirit now. I hope you got your lights up and your tree up. Get them up as quickly as possible. Just need to get this holiday spirit kicked off rejuvenate things yeah so be well take care of yourself until next time this is jim signing off saying be merry cheers